we only have to win. I mean, the I mean, the upside may not be as great as it is if What's you invested early in October. Yeah. But uh, you right. don't have to win many to do well, right? All right, so we are about to yeah. start. Uh, I think we would just do this little countdown. Yeah. Nick, whenever you're ready. Yeah, go ahead. All right, we are live in three, two, one. And uh, yeah, super excited to have a couple sponsors. We want to give a shout out today. Specifically, we've got Nicodex. If you're looking to build a product, check out Nicodex.com. These guys have done fantastic work for our community, like Visita, Side Pocket, and they start at just $25 an hour. That's N-E-C-O-D-E-X.com for building any kind of product. And Primero Negocios, which they'll help you get local customers in their rock stars at digital marketing. So super pleased to have a, a couple wonderful guests today. Uh, Mr. Jimmy Koo, growth expert and all-around wonderful human being, and, uh, and Steve Weimer as well, another rock star as well. So and another wonderful human being. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, I don't know about wonderful. <laughs> and uh, you know, so so Jimmy, let's start with you. You know, there's there's uh, there's connectors, there's super connectors, and then there's people like you. You know, you've you've uh, you've raised uh, over half a billion dollars for founders. You're scaling a, a unicorn in the payment system. Uh, you've done a bunch of angel investments, and you're about to have your second baby. You got a lot going on. How do you? How do you yeah, yeah, yeah. Congratulations. How do you? I spent the grand all? total of two hours yesterday. So there's, uh, that's how I managed Talk part of it. But uh, yeah, it's it's a really exciting time. Uh, it's, it's a really exciting time in the payment space. So that's where I work on my day job. I'm the head of growth for what we call our developed markets at Flutterwave. Flutterwave is Africa's largest payment infrastructure. So happy to talk more about the opportunities in Africa. We've got experts here yeah. uh, who I'm sure we can talk more about some of the opportunities and why there's such a growth opportunity there. Um, and like you said, one of the things I love to do, and this is something that I've been doing for, for many, many years, ever since we've known each other and, and you know beyond, uh, it's just I love connecting people. I found that if you connect two really good people and you're helping both people and you're the person who was able to do so, it's a great thing. And uh, that kind of superpower, if you will, seems to be particularly helpful uh, when it comes to fundraising. Yeah. Uh, so I've run an accelerator. I was recruited by Justin Kahn to help build up this team called Fundraise Concierge, where we helped more companies. And yeah, like you said, over the last five years, I've now helped companies raise over $540 million in additional funding. Yeah, so no big deal. Been busy. <laughs> <laughs> That's remarkable. So you, I mean, you're a great storyteller, but you're also a, a great story listener. Uh, do you think those two things play together when when bringing two folks together to to be able to do business? Yeah, I think the story is particularly important when it comes to fundraising. Ninety nine percent of the hard work is what the founders do, building their company. But that one percent, that story, how they actually vocalize what they're doing and how they present it to investors, folks like yourselves and others, uh, is very very important because if you don't understand what they're doing, you're not going to invest, right? So that storytelling component is um, what I found was the most helpful thing actually uh, that when when talking to founders is helping them get that story correct. Got it. And in part of that, I mean, I guess from the investor's standpoint, is like due diligence uh, or 
are kind of figuring out what problem they're solving. Like what, what do you see is, is been effective? Yeah, I'm also a venture partner at 10X Capital, right. which is actually the most <laughs> active uh, investor in the U.S. at the moment, according to PitchBook. And so we talk to a lot of companies. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of key things, but usually like the earlier stages, I think what's most important is what is the problem you're really trying to solve? Is there kind of a true need for that? How are you solving it? Do I believe in what you're building? Uh, who are you? Are you mm. the right people to go solve this problem? Yeah. So I think that's really important as the company grows, uh, as they expand, I think any of the important metrics that showcase that they have something truly there, um, some product market fit, those are important metrics, revenue, obviously retention, growth. Um, those are important things uh, to consider from the companies you, that we speak to. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because like storytelling, you think it's kind of like a, a soft skill, but you can fortify it with a foundation of data to give it more credibility. Oh, for Speaking sure. of communication experts, we've got Steve Weimer here, who's uh, been vice president of communications at a number of different Fortune 100 companies. Uh, tell us a little bit about your approach to communication when it comes to business. Yeah, it's interesting that Jimmy mentioned storytelling because clearly that's important as a founder tries to seek additional capital and grow their company. It's even maybe more important in helping connect that product fit with a consumer who's going to buy a, a product or a service. But I actually find as a person who sort of found my way into a real deep and abiding passion for Africa and particularly East African entrepreneurs, um, that there's still a big story to be told about emerging markets. Mm -hmm. And particularly in Africa, where I, I have my heart sort of, I, I left a little piece of my heart there every time <laughs> I went. Um, particularly in Africa, there's a, a, a not a deep understanding of the true market opportunity. And we've wasted a lot of money, the Western world, and now, and, and I think China prior to that, we've wasted a lot of money on various aid models that haven't worked. Um, Demisa Moya wrote a book about probably a decade ago called Dead Aid, uh, essentially making what the, the time was a very controversial statement that aid doesn't work. Um, and I'm not sure I fully agree with that because there's certain things like President George W. Bush's Millennial Project that essentially eradicated AIDS from much of the African continent. So I think in terms of healthcare and some of those areas, there is still a really big need for just flat out aid when there's a hungry person we need to feed them. Sure. Um, but I personally believe that the pathway to a greater emergence of just equity and reduction of poverty and better thriving in life in Africa is really directly related to commerce and jobs and economic opportunity. And so I I really, I would love to be a champion for the story yeah. that I'm really convinced of, yeah. that Africa is ripe for making money, for commerce, employing people, and ultimately making the the societies there better, less corrupt, less uh, less run by by dictators, yeah. um, less more equal in terms of uh, gender um, discrimination, and just more opportunity in general. And I think the opportunities there are bursting and I hope that as governments, developed countries decide that where the plates are aid money, yeah. that they do less in handouts to governments and more in sparking entrepreneurship and loosing the chains around uh, just this sort of concept that Africa is still the country that we might have thought of it 100 years ago. Or the continent, I should say. It's not a country. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> where, you're going to Africa I, I like it's a big you know, continent. Or, what, what we say at Flutterwave is... Africa is not a country. We want to make it feel like one. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's 50 plus countries. Yeah. There's different currencies. There's different languages. There's different nuances. There's regulatory environments, compliance. It's completely wow. different. And yeah. so when people think about that and think of it as one bulk thing, they're just missing out on, on a true understanding of what the opportunity is and, and also how complex it is. Totally.
So tell us a little bit about uh, what you've been doing with Flutterways, getting you know, diving right into the Africa thing. Um, yeah. How, how are you thinking about growth? Um, and and uh, what have been some of the hurdles that you had to overcome? So Steve's 100% right. The, the growth opportunity is immense. Eight of the 10 fastest growing economies in the world right there. Right. So there's a tremendous opportunity. There's a lot of different things that are happening now that make it even uh, a, a larger opportunity for companies seeking to grow. Uh, and you mentioned one of those. It's a it's getting infrastructure support. There's money going into it. I think it, there's billions getting put into just building infrastructure, but also just the political environment, regulatory environment, things are working towards being much more commerce friendly, much more business friendly. So those are all positives. There's also a much faster growing younger population that's mobile. There's a larger and growing middle class and upper class, 580 million um, kind of middle class, 116 million uh, kind of upper class, 1.7 billion people. So there's a, a tremendous market there. So what have I been doing basically yeah, yeah, yeah. as the person who's in charge of our growth for the developed markets, essentially what I'm looking for are merchants that want to tap into that growing opportunity. So I need to find those merchants that want to go out there, but when they want to go out there, the difficulty is if you can't receive money from your customer, yeah. you cannot do business there. So what does Flutterwave do? We're the pipes that help receive money pay money, sure. move money, you know, that whole ability, the payment space, that's what we do. So I've been talking to companies like Netflix and Uber and Microsoft and TikTok and Twitter and other big organizations like that, that see the opportunity, see the potential, want to be a part of it. And we help them with the payment infrastructure for them to be able to address it. What are some of the, the things that they're afraid of? Maybe things that they can't control? I think the biggest thing, and I don't know if you agree, Steve, is it's just complicated. So maybe they don't know which particular countries to go into. They don't know what the complexities are. They know there's growth opportunities there. So actually, some of the conversations I've had is really just providing education. It's providing information right. and helping them help uh, you know dictate or provide insights that will help their strategy for Africa. Probably, yeah. probably not so different from the U.S. It's like the education. Yeah, I need for education. I yeah. think there's multiple layers to this, right? Because um, just think about it in terms of the scenario he just described. If you had the premise, by the way, in a country like Kenya, there's massive smart smartphone penetration. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking, oh, yeah. you know, 50% of the population with a smartphone. You wouldn't think that elsewhere. Now, their smartphones are a little different. They're not rocking iPhone 14s at scale <laughs> like we are here in the valley, but but they're smartphones, right? Yeah. Um, so let's just say you're Netflix and you think, okay, if I could put together some content that would appeal to Kenyans, would I be interested in the Kenyan market or the Ethiopian market or the uh, South African market, right? Um, and by the way, there's there's tons of content that's in English originally that gets captioned. And I mean, there's there's a lot of appeal to content and even the English content in much of East Africa in particular, all across the continent. Yeah. So if you want to do that, you, you, it, it wouldn't be that hard to determine whether or not you thought there was a consumer demand for the thing, the product, yeah. Uber, Netflix. But then to Jimmy's point, how do you actually a dollar if it's a U.S. company, a U.S. dollar in another form of currency without a way to transact? You, you don't go online and put your credit card number in for Netflix when you're in even a, even in middle class Nairobi. Right. Yeah. So there's a major gap here. So I think it's important to look at it in terms of what does the market want? What is the market ready for? Then how could the market consume this product? That's where Jimmy's solving a gap. Right. And then and then you could keep drilling down. Then, you know, OK, if Netflix is in demand and people want to stream it, 
is the broadband capability there, right? If the broadband capability is not there, what I mean, all of these things sort of cycle up, right? Mm -hmm. But I'll give you one quick anecdote. Sure. Africa's skipping terrible American technology where we've got wires on poles all over America. There are people using internet to work from home, school kids trying to get their homework done online. Right. They're using telephone wires that were strong in the 70s. And, and literally, we're now Moore's Law is letting us click more little bits down the line faster together than we ever did before. But at the end of the day, we're still using a lot of really antiquated infrastructure here. And in Africa, they're going wireless. And I, I bet on it, right? So how can you bring rural 5G? T-Mobile's got a huge rural 5G initiative right now all across America. It could be strung all the way across Africa. And so there's a lot of ways to think about how can we get there quicker by doing it better based on what we know now. Um, you know, and there, you're not going to open up a traditional taxi business in, in Kigali, but you might be able to find ride sharing, right? Yeah. And Jimmy's, Jimmy's, if he's enabling the payments to do that, it opens up a massive opportunity for entrepreneurship. Yeah, let me give you the, the story of Netflix uh, that you were just talking about as well. So there's definitely a demand. People want to watch it. And to your point, there's also the broadband consideration. But if I want to watch Netflix, Netflix collects your credit card, you and I and, and everyone else. But if I don't have a credit card, first of all, I'm not sure how I'm going to pay for it, period. You don't take M-Pesa, you don't take mobile wallets. That's a problem already. Even if you do take credit cards, there's local credit cards. There's also the, the, the issue that if my credit card is in Nigeria, in Nigerian currency, it's not gonna work. It's just going to fail. Right. So there's all these issues that come about. So what was actually happening for consumers there? They had to figure out a way to get access to Netflix. So either, they would ask someone like a family member or a friend who's local. Here, Nick, hey, can you sign up for Netflix and add me as a person who can uh, you know, right. watch it? Sure. And I will pay you. Now, how do I pay you? Maybe it's remittances. Maybe it's, I don't know, something else. But crypto, I don't know, maybe, maybe, right? Is crypto part of the solution that you guys are looking at? Oh, crypto is a whole other kind of words and a whole other conversation. Yeah, three more shows? <laughs> <laughs> that is a, a much longer conversation. But, but very shortly, crypto... Um, technically banned in Nigeria. Um, Nigeria is also working on their own um, uh, digital currency. But, Probably centralized, though, but, which defeats the whole purpose. Well, kind of. But so, well, there's they're still good yeah. to what they're building there uh, as well. But the thing is, when you look at the largest Bitcoin markets, it's the U.S., it's Russia, Nigeria's third. So you can say it's sure. banned. Wow. It's Nigeria is a, a, it's a huge market. Wow. Uh, and people don't even realize how large it is. So the use case there is huge. But back to the Netflix example, I would actually have to go find someone who I know in the US who would pay for it that I then have to find a way to pay them back. Mm. Or I'd have to find a way to get access to a US credit card, which you cannot get in Nigeria. So good luck. Right. Or I find a debit card to pay for it, but then I have to find a way to keep making sure there's money on that debit card. So it's not easy, wow. but people were doing that. So the demand was clearly there. People were finding creative ways to just pay for it. Now, imagine if I just made it easier, put in your M-Pesa wallet, go ahead, pay for that. Mm -hmm. Put in your, your, you know, your, your local Verve credit card, go ahead. You know, pay by you know, your, your bank, right? If I made it easier, that opens up tremendous opportunities for Netflix and other companies in a market that clearly wants their products. So it sounds like you're also building the infrastructure. Here. We are the yeah, financial <laughs> infrastructure. Yeah, but, absolutely. But the yeah. reason this is so, this the reason this is the biggest, most important thing that no one's talking about in emerging markets is that mostly we think of a market product market fit and we think of the consumers. So let's pick a market. We're in Uganda. Okay. Do Ugandans need a mobile ticketing for the bus systems in Kampala? Do they need that? 
that's something that that we can all suppose they probably need. Mm -hmm. And if you are a, a, a Ugandan and you're there, you definitely know if they need that. But how do you actually transact on it? And how right. do you use an outside investment? Because you're not going to be able to move to Kampala and buy 60 buses and run up and down the, the area, <laughs> right? So you're going to need people yeah. that are local. You, you want to solve that local problem, knowledge. get an effort. That's right. Yeah. You know, you, we're not bringing some American or British or French solution to solve it all. You have to have a, a local contextualization mm, or yeah. we're all going to just bleed money for no reason and waste investors' money and it's, a, it's for naught. The problem is, is that we focus often on the product and whether or not we think the product's in demand and we don't actually have a way to transact, right? Because right? I feel like we kind of take that for granted. That's right. Oh, we yeah. do. We do. Of course yeah, we do. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. What founder out there? Yeah, yeah. What founder out there right now building an internet business is worried they won't be able to get paid. They won't right. actually have. And I don't mean that like collecting on the bill. I mean, they don't actually have a transaction platform by which to have receive funds. Nobody's thinking about that in yeah. the U.S., right? There's so many ways that... Uh, <laughs> that, that uh, Floodwave could scale as well. Uh, there's a fellow I want to introduce you to. His name's Guy Kim Gang. Uh, he runs a- We run... chatted, actually. Oh, good. <laughs> and you made the intro, the by the way. Way. No, 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 I, you I made should, the intro. I should know these Just things. to be clear, <laughs> you made the intro. We yeah. chatted, and it was a great call. Okay. Yeah. He, he intros so many people to so many people, you yes. can't even yeah. remember. I mean, how's he going to get back to that? Yeah, it's like dial-up speed. Speaking of connectors. He's the master. So tell me, we're kind of, we're discussing Africa as far as like narrative and being able to scale. But you've you've had a, an amazing impact, Jimmy, on founders being able to achieve their dreams and, and grow and scale big time right here in the valley. So, what are some best practices that you could share with founders that um, to, to get them where they want to be? Yeah, I love chatting with founders um, and going through some of the the concerns they have. Fundraising is almost always top of mind. I mean, without the the funds, you're you're concerned about basically you have going concerns. Is my startup even going to make it right? So um, more times than not, the conversation is around fundraising and, and more times than not, the conversation um, what the founders think they need almost always. And I'd love to get kind of the, the inside of, of others as well. What I have found is most founders think that if I put them and make the, the warm intro to them and the investor, that's all they need. They don't need anything else. I'm good to go. My product is awesome. Right. My pitch is great. I don't really need your help. Just get me in front of that individual and that that founder, uh, that investor. Mm -hmm. That's generally not the case, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the, where I provide the most value. I can make an intro. That's easy. The connector part of it is, is I, I'm perfectly fine with that. But making the intro to the right, the wrong person or making the intro when you're not quite ready um, or when your narrative doesn't quite fit and you haven't really fixed some of the, those problems actually is a problem. So going back to storytelling, um, what I generally do with the conversation that I have with founders is to answer any questions they might have um, and then see where I can provide the most value. We'll generally go over the pitch. Maybe I'll add a couple of insights about what I think will work better. Um, we'll talk about best practices around how to run an effective process. So I typically say the best things to do when you're running a process is to think about two things. One is create FOMO. So you need to have as many conversations in a shorter period of time as possible and create this runaway train effect that my fundraise is moving along fairly rapidly. I'm about to finish my round and you better get on or get off because I don't need you. And the only way to do that is to have a lot of the right conversations. And then the other thing, if you push that FOMO, that's one piece of it. If you have the forcing factor at the end, milestones that are basically saying, hey, I'm a tech star startup and we're about to have demo day. You know, I have these milestones and I'm about to launch this. The press is about to come out for this. Like these milestones are things that push back and it comes to this like, okay, are you going to make a decision or not? Right. Because as an investor, 
we have every incentive actually to not write you a check. Yeah. Because the longer I look at a startup, the longer I know about the startup, the more I de-risk my own investment. So you have to force me actually to write a check. Assuming you're also <laughs> going to get the, the same terms though, because that can change. Well, so that's where the forcing comes in, right? Yeah. Hey, the terms are going to go up. You know, things are happening. I'm going to sign this big merchant. Things are happening. Are you coming on board? So you've got to kind of push them along this process. And if you run an effective process, your chances of success are higher. It's not guaranteed, but it certainly helps. Right. And that, that process probably changes. Like if you're talking to Sequoia versus Greylock versus Andreessen, they want to see different things or is it generally the same? I mean, I, I think I think FOMO affects everyone. But okay. then again, uh, Sequoia does. I mean, I, I spoke to one of the partners there. I won't say whom, but he basically told me at one point in time, he said, look, I do like two deals a, a year, right? Are you good enough to be one of the two deals? Wow. <laughs> right? So they, of course, will still get FOMO in some of these deals, but at the same time, they're Sequoia. Everyone comes to them, right? So, and, and Andreessen and, and, and all these uh, amazing firms that are out there, they have a lot of deal flow. They certainly have a lot more conversations they have. Um, but at the end of the day, if you are a hot startup with a lot of great investors, they're all jumping on board, investors will want to be a part of that. So, Let's so first and foremost, if, if anybody wants to hop in and ask these guys a question, feel free, Peter, you can drop the link in the chat. Uh, yeah, let me do that right okay, now. Thanks. Uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to add to that to say, I think another little facet of what Jimmy's describing is that's the piece of coaching that an emerging market with entrepreneurs who these are not, you know, the, the vast majority of these folks that are doing founding companies and doing it are not Stanford B school grads or you know, even, I mean, San Jose state grads, a lot of these, these guys are grinding. They're, they're inventing, they're, they're innovating based off of their own knowledge. Now, sometimes some of them, like in the companies in Renew's portfolio, we, we have people that, you know, went to Duke and then went, went came back to Addis, right? And there's those stories, but what he just described is a, is a process of, of um, strategy that they wouldn't know. Yeah. They wouldn't know because that's not their, their ecosphere. They're thinking I have a product, I, have, I believe my market can fit this product and I want to go pitch it to people because if they believe in it, then they can get it. Well, that's that's like step one, two and three. But he just described steps four, five, six, seven, eight that are really important to get the check cut. Right. Right. And I think that's something that they don't have line of sight into because it's not how could they if it wasn't their experience. Yeah. Right. I think we need to do some events. <laughs> we should. Let's do it. Let's so, do so, it. So, can you, can you uh, share for audience a little bit about Renew and yeah. what you're building? Yeah, Renew is uh, the, the brainchild of a longtime friend of mine, Matt Davis, and his uh, co-founder and COO, Laura Davis. And they are, they're really fascinating. Started in Addis and really went to support entrepreneurs and help build as operators with the companies, be an investor, and then help operate the companies. Um, and over the years, have pivoted to now much more of a traditional VC model where they find and identify uh, founders with great ideas and then invest in them. Um, my new initiative that I'm championing as an investor and an advisor to Renew is uh, setting up councils, sort of advisory councils that pour into each and into some of our top tier portfolio companies. So on the council, I'm trying to find somebody who's a product expert, somebody who's a strategy and fundraising expert, and then a leadership and coaching expert. So that when we give this advice to these founders, we're all in the same room talking so that if you're a founder, I'm not giving you this product roadmap advice that totally would mess up the strategy and fundraising, uh, right? Burn yeah. too much cash. To yeah. yeah. And so, and I'm using that for volunteers. I'll use this as an opportunity to pitch. I'm really looking for more uh, tech entrepreneurs in the Valley who have a heart for emerging markets and who really believe that I do. I, I, I think you'd have to believe that 
the best path forward for Africa to gain equity and opportunity for all is through business sure. and commerce. And if you do believe in that and you have some bandwidth for this, um, I'm seeking to, to bring more of these volunteers in and, and ultimately recruit them into more invested uh, folks in, sure. the, in the, the idea. But just to start with uh, pouring into some of these entrepreneurs and we have a dozen or so portfolio companies that we really believe in. And we believe less in the company and more in the founder yeah, and in yeah. the, the the passion and, and commitment that they have. And we'll see what happens. So if folks are interested, they can reach out to you on Sure, LinkedIn. yeah. Love okay. to talk. If you, if you have a, if you're passionate about Africa, particularly East Africa, Rwanda, Kenya, Uganda, uh, Tanzania, um, man, that's uh, I'd love to take a trip with you. Beautiful. So Beautiful. any excuse I can get to get there. <laughs> <laughs> so we have some so questions maybe. from the audience. Uh, I'll start with Carlos. He said, FOMO is a great tool, but how would you use it to grab new business if it's cold outreach? How do you generate FOMO quickly without ruining your ethics, basically? Yeah, so I think the FOMO conversation for, for my example is primarily for fundraising uh, as it relates to conversations with, let's say, merchants. Um, so day in, day out, I'm talking to merchants and having um, conversations about how we can provide the right infrastructure for their support. My core uh, kind of the North Star for me isn't necessarily to create FOMO for them to jump on and sign a contract with me. Um, the way I generally talk to them is always about value. What are we providing that helps your business? What are we doing that helps you continue to build what you're trying to build, but to help you expand and grow in the markets you're looking at? East Africa, for example, right? So how can we, as a infrastructure partner to you, give you what you need to be able to keep doing your business. And if we are successful, then everyone is successful because as you grow and as you have more customers, more transactions and, and um, you know, and do better, uh, ultimately we're uh, doing better as well. Right. So, so it's really for me about value. Thank you. Well, but, um, so help us understand a little bit about due diligence. Uh, Ravi, who's the, the founder <laughs> of Boardwalk, he's just off camera here. We were just talking, he said that, Due diligence is, is actually uh, uh, to some degree disintegrated over over time, and we're kind of seeing that with what's, what's happened with Elizabeth Holmes and some other uh, marquee examples. Um, how how do uh, firms in Silicon Valley approach due diligence, and, and how could we improve it? That's a tough one. Um, there's been quite a few examples of fraud. <laughs> and I think we can all think through some of the more recent ones. Um, and I think the, the natural reaction, yeah. <laughs> um, and the natural reaction is, how did that happen? If you, a very smart investor from a, uh, a well-respected firm, had gone through the paperwork, reviewed their numbers, you should have noticed something, $8 billion missing, for example. Seems like something, someone looking through the numbers and truly doing due diligence would, doing due diligence would have noticed. Um, I don't know exactly what happened to all of these. Sure. I don't know if the process has gotten worse. But back to our conversation about FOMO, I think that sometimes uh, FOMO in a round that's already closing with some people you respect and know mm -hmm. will drive some people to make decisions without actually doing the due diligence. Mm -hmm. um, so probably not everybody uh, on that cap table actually read through every document. Actually, yeah, I can point. probably guarantee that not everybody looked through everything. Now, certain people certainly did, but not everybody did. Now, if you're really good at driving that kind of FOMO, you might have been able to get people to jump on board without them actually doing their job of fully doing due diligence. So that could have been a contributor. But uh, at the end of the day, I think, um, you know, I, I think the due diligence process, at least from what I've seen, 
still roughly the same. It's just that we've had these like really big blowups and really big instances where um, we start questioning, you know, how that happened. Yep. Do you think it's become uh, more important as uh, technology it, it pretty much uh, becomes a part of every aspect of, of uh, how technology I think technology it's become works? particularly top of mind for people given the huge blowups that have happened. Yep. The amount of money that people lost in just FTX and Luna yeah. alone is massive. And then you really take that, I mean, just look at the crypto space and how much money was poured into it. The crypto space is rife with abuse and uh, a lot of bad players, right? But they're not the only ones. There's certainly a lot of things that are going on there, but it's not just that space. I mean, all across, you know, all kinds of different industries. I was talking to um, an investor recently about another company he had invested in where the founder took the money and actually used it on other things, right? There's a lot of that type of stuff that's, there's bad actors. And unfortunately, one, not all the due diligence can, to can get all of that information, uh, but two, sometimes maybe you haven't done the, the proper due diligence because of other factors. Yeah, I, th I think he's. I don't. I agree with everything Jimmy just said. I would say I have a very different take on this, though. In the, I think diligence is very contextual, right? If you're looking at a SaaS company, I, I love Craft Ventures and David Sachs and, and the way he. I mean, he's just a very, very, very smart guy in my opinion. Mm. Um, and if you're looking at the companies he's investing in, the technology, the actual stack has to work. Yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't work, it's not <laughs> worth investing in, right? Uh, I'm not smart enough to figure that out, and that's why I'm not a partner at a at a at a big Silicon Valley. Uh, <laughs> Uh, venture capital firm, but I'm, I'm a part, I'm fascinated with, and I'm passionate about, and I think there's an opportunity to make a massive difference in the world by investing in people and investing in markets where you know there's a need. And I'm not a qualified, and I think there, I, I just have to operate off of a premise that there's a whole bunch of opportunity that that isn't really contingent on deep dive in diligence on crypto technology i bought like a thousand dollars of bitcoin and lost it and decided that's not a spot for me right that's not a place for me <laughs> right um I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be throwing that money there right if you think about some of these emerging markets, we don't need to invest $650 million of a bunch of, of, uh, of uh, venture capital money into a um, iffy-ish technology, and we don't need to do it in a hurry because all oh, those guys over Square doing it, and has got to throw it in. We got to let's get there. Let's get FOMO. That's right. right. I have FOMO for people that are hurting in the world who don't have equal access to opportunity. I have FOMO for places where girls don't get to go to school. I have FOMO for, for people that where they have corrupt dictators who run entire countries like despots that it's really it's terrible conditions for people because there's not a way to make a buck 
There's not a way to feed your family. And so for me, I, I, I really wish we could change some of the, the culture. I want to stand up on a box and jump up and down for some of these people that are printing money in the valley, creating, you know, investing in new SaaS companies. And they're experts in all this. How about they take some of those proceeds? And I know I'm, I'm not trying to sound like Elizabeth Warren here, but I, I mean, why don't, why don't they take just some of the the opportunity and gamble it sure. on people that are that are really great where. Of course, you're wanting an ROI. Yeah, and good and and do, do the right. Plug in well. to a place yeah. and stop focusing on whether or not you can make another billion. Take take a small percentage of your portfolio, invest it in an area where do massive good and be less focused on I'm sick of hearing about Elizabeth Holmes. I don't care. Right. That that's right, not right. gonna define in the future. That's some bad acting that happened in the past. And people face justice. I want to Focus on the opportunity to, to change an entire nation. Right. Are, are, is there some. By the way, I don't say that to diminish all that. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm just, that's, I do agree. Everybody has to have a passion, right? Yeah. yeah. And if you're Hello. Sorry, guys. Okay. And we're, we're back. back. We're back. <laughs> So we were just talking about technology, both good and bad. Yeah. We kind of went off on a, a tangent there um, when we were off. But uh, yeah, I mean, technology, uh, how it's helped me is that all information is online. Yeah. You can find out just about anything, about any company um, that, that's publicly available. And uh, you'll know what their plans are that has been publicly stated. Um, and you can also find out more about what the company is doing, what the company uses as an infrastructure, you know, how much payment volume you should be expecting. So yeah, there's a lot of good information out there to find the right customers, but it boils back to who are the customers um, you really want to kind of seek out and then creating a plan to go after that pipeline. Gotcha. And always using data so we can measure. Use data, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have uh, Jules from Conscious Conversations join in in just a second here. But while we wait for Jules to, to join, can you? Uh, you, you know, I'm sure you get some all sorts of founders. Who have you seen uh, recently that's really been inspiring for you from an entrepreneurial perspective? So we've been talking a lot about, and I'd love to hear your most inspiring one as well. But we've been talking a lot about Africa, yeah. um, and I'm not an expert in Africa. <laughs> right? I'm working at an African startup, but certainly have gotten to know a lot more. I've now had a chance to travel there. Um, but the recent one uh, is a company called Small Small. Mm -hmm. They're addressing a massive problem in Nigeria for housing. Uh, what's 
what's shocking to me when I had a conversation um, with Tunde about this was that people have to pay for an entire year's worth of their rent up front. And that's because all these young people who are coming back from universities trying to get a job or people who have gotten jobs um, are being asked to pay for an entire year's worth of their uh, rent up front before they can get an apartment. Now, I, I know when I got out of college, if you asked me to pay for a year's worth of my rent, right. I, I, I don't have a place to live. Right, right, uh, right. And that's actually what's happening. And the reason it's happening is because the credit information is not available. I don't know if I can trust you. The landlords then don't have a trust. They don't know if they can collect any money or what's going to happen. So the, the whole kind of system is very broken. And so he's trying to build an infrastructure and a solution to help address housing, which to me is an amazing thing. If you can't, if you don't have a place to live and you're working at Flutterwave or somewhere else, like, that's tough as, yeah. a, as a new grad. So it's really cool that they're building that. That's rule number two, same question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I'm, a bit, I'm, I'm probably uh, driven by a, a lot of emotion on this because I just get so inspired by all these people who are grinding, right? I mean, we have this uh, young lady, CEO of a company called Blue Pass in Kenya, who's trying to digitize ticketing for transportation across Kenya, mostly on trains. Um, we have a, a young man who's founded a company called Taraki in, in um, Ethiopia that's trying to create gobs and gobs of audible content um, for people to listen to in Aramaic. Um, we have a company that's doing the Warby Parker of, of, of Kenya and Rwanda and Uganda. Um, believe it or not, like it's fascinating. I think to, I used to, see. to them. Actually. Really? Okay. Well, so. is that okay? <laughs> I, but I'll give you. I'll give you <laughs> I remember talking to them. Stay away from them. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the one company that really fascinates me because I like the product. I love the entrepreneurs and the founders. But I'm more fascinated, just personally, by understanding and learning the, the problems they're trying to solve. And one is called Ubuntu, and it is most of Africa is still an agrarian society, but especially East African. And it's funny because we're talking about like the Kampala or Kigali or, or Nairobi centers or Adar where, or Addis where there's tons of smartphone penetration. There's tons of more sophisticated consumers than we in the U.S. tend to know or think about. But there's still gobs and gobs of people that are living without power sometimes in a village and farming, right? And there are substance farmers. So how do they actually commercialize anything, right? So there's some, we've probably, I've probably looked at two dozen companies in the last year that are doing entrepreneurial, they're trying to build companies around being the middleman between collecting agrarian products, getting them to a market, creating a co-op, somehow getting them to the, the urban spaces to sell. And I just think that's a massive opportunity in undeveloped markets everywhere. I, I, I personally have seen yeah. East Africa, but I'm sure everywhere. So to me, I'm inspired less by good companies because I think there's a, not enough signal sometimes to really tell that. And much more around macro solutions. I love hearing about yeah. Jimmy's work with yeah. just payments. You know, how do we do that? We think of payments now like, oh, it's this app to pay. No, no, no. That's that's like the tail end of this issue. How do you like connect all right. the dots like, to create like, a pipe? Right. Like backs up to Swift, probably. Totally, right? right? Or yeah. and a lot of things, if you go to a restaurant, you're thinking, no, do they have toast or do they have square? Right. Well, this is like the square, those are individual like processing entities that still require lots of inputs mm -hmm. and outputs, right? And so building that is a real, I just love the big, big, hairy problem that's going to loosen so much additional entrepreneurship. Probably right. Yeah. Awesome. Love the, love the answer. So Jules, welcome, welcome. Can you, uh, can you hear us okay? I can hear you guys. And that tail end of the conversation that I just hopped in on sounds so insanely fascinating. Let's see. Can you hear me? Uh, she may yes, or may not be able to hear us, but we yes, may. No. Yeah. <laughs>
Hi. Now we can hear you. Hey, Jules. Hey, Jimmy. Zombies. How are you guys doing? Doing great. So, Jess, to have you here, you know, we've been doing conscious conversations for probably maybe four or five uh, episodes now, yep. quickly becoming a fan favorite. So, welcome, welcome, and and um, please tell us a little bit about uh, what you built. Well, first, I want to say thank you guys for having me. I thought it was so sweet, Nick, that you reached out to, to have me on. And I just want to say um, the tail end of this conversation that you guys were just having is so insanely interesting, and I would love to hear more about it. So, um at some point in the future, uh, that sounds really like you guys are doing amazing things. Um, so Jimmy, hi, good to see you too. Yeah, good to see you. <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as you, as you guys know, I am the founder of Conscious Conversations. Uh, Nick is a good friend of mine who has been so generous and bringing the deck on his own accord uh, onto his podcast. And he asked me to join in today. So um, as you guys have seen before, this is the deck. And I have the privilege of picking the question to for the end of this podcast. So, guys, are we ready? Just do it. We're ready. Okay. So, here we go. Full disclosure: I have no idea what we're doing here. Good. So just check and see if that's, that's, that's even is. better. <laughs> well, I just got an alert that my heart is racing. So, fire away! We're your huckleberries here. Yeah. Um. It's pretty PG rated, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> that's always uh, a good indicator. <laughs> yeah. I'll put, I'm coming out with a different deck that's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So the question, the question for all of you guys today is what do you think the world will be like 50 years from now? 50 years from now, what's the world going to be like? Also, if there's anybody in the audience that wants to chime in, feel free to click the link and, and join as well. What's the world going to be like in 50 years? That's that's crazy to think like just how much innovation and growth there's been even in the past like 10 to 20 years. Um, what what's going to be like? Well, we're definitely going to have a new type of computing because um, with our with traditional computing, we have about 28 years yeah. before we hit the physics wall. Yeah. So that's going to happen. You, you think there'll be a quantum leap in computing? <laughs> 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 yeah, he's not, <laughs> he's not impressed. <laughs> Yes, there's gonna have to be. Yeah, but not maybe not just quantum. But there's also other types of computing as well, like more analog style. Um, so both, it's gonna be interesting. It, it'll be very interesting to see what happens on that front in robotics, in, uh, in computing, and that's gonna naturally lead to AI. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Is it the scary kind of AI? Should we be concerned? <laughs> <laughs> Are we closer to Judgment Day? <laughs> My, you know, my personal thoughts on that one is like, if I feel like if you just treat your AIs nice, <laughs> that won't happen. Because if you look at like a lot of the sci-fi around this, this all of this happens because there was a period of time where humans were dicks to robots. <laughs> but maybe, maybe we'll become cyborgs, like no longer just humans, but we can leverage technology to integrate into who we are to... Uh, to be able to compete against the AI. So then we won't be dicks because we'll like see some people who are half human, half robots. And then we'll like, do you think there'll be like, cla like classism based on like, you know, oh, like muggles and non-muggles? <laughs> it's, it's Harry Potter. I'm saying being, I, I'm hearing, be okay. nice to your AI. Okay. Be nice to all your digital, <laughs> like I think Alexa when, you know, 
yeah. you know, providing the information. Okay. What a sweetheart you So are. hopefully, hopefully they remember this when they take Alexis over. Alexis can spare you, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> because I was always nice. But <laughs> Thank there, you for there, there is yeah. one Jimmy. one when you stop being nice, it's going gonna, it's gonna to know. I know, that's true. Metrics. I know, I know. It has that history of everything I've ever said. <laughs> That's what you're. That's what you're thinking. No, no. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, for me, I mean, just I think the world becomes smaller and smaller in terms of uh, being able to conduct business, being able to travel. There's you know flights that will be shorter. There's opportunities um, to move money easier. Um, crypto. I'm still hopeful. Uh, that the technology behind it actually helps and lends well to the fintech space. I think there's a lot of opportunities. I've talked a lot about how stable coins can be leveraged um, for commerce and for other things. I do believe that as more and more of these things, um, uh, infrastructure and technology is being built, um, the difficulties, especially of doing commerce in Africa, of moving money, of something as simple as sending money to family back and forth, is, is, is something so critical, but so difficult still today. Um, the founder of Venmo, I had a conversation with him. He's also an investor of ours. And I remember him, he, he said to me, he said, look, because he's got family in Africa, he said, can you please build something to make this process easier? Wow. I'm like, he, this is a guy who's clearly already built something to make moving money very easy in the US. I use Venmo every day. Yeah. And he's saying, can we please build something to make it easier? So I think that the world becomes a, a place where um, we remove the barriers for travel, we move the barriers for commerce, we move these barriers and hopefully get to a place where people can conduct transactions, can do commerce, can travel, can do things faster and easier. Mm. 50 years from now, wow. hopefully. That's yeah. beautifully put, beautifully put. Uh, I can't top that, but admittedly, <laughs> I will say that my hope drives my answer more than an intellectual approach. And my hope is that we're a freer world, that's a more just world. Um, and what just keeps coming to mind of my is I heard a um, I heard a little probably a TikTok repurposed <laughs> on Instagram uh, snippet the other day of a gentleman who is he's British and he was giving a uh, a sentiment around climate change and it was I think it was a, it was partly a statement against wokeism and and sort of uber leftist thinking around climate change um, and it was interesting I I personally like to subscribe to bold ideas loosely held because I think we should all really be uh, cognizant that we can change our mind and we should. And if we're not, if we're too rigid, uh, I think we miss a lot in life. But you don't want to but, be so open-minded that your brains fall out. Right? It, <laughs> and I think that leads me to the point. I think that 50 years from now, truth is going to emerge on a lot of things that we don't understand right now. Um, and I think we've taken a really terrible approach to addressing climate change, which is an existential threat. We've done it through carbon offsets. We've done it through regulation. We've done it through taxation. And I think they're all really, really, really crappy ways to try to um, to change the world. And the point being, if you look at where uh, the, you know, the, the UK, the UK has aggressive climate goals and changes in regulation, and they're responsible for 2% of the world's emissions. The UK can do anything they want to constrain their economy and inhibit their citizens, and they're not going to impact climate change at all. Climate change is coming from undeveloped markets in China, in Asia, in Africa, in, South, in Asia, actually in South America. And those people are traditionally poor. And if you tell someone as a parent, if you're a parent, um, you know, you can uh, admit a huge ball of emissions into the earth um, and it could really it's a massive, massive amount of carbon. You can stick that into the earth or help your child. Most people are going to select uh, admitting some emissions right over helping their child and trying to connect this to, you know, really finding ways that technology and innovation can solve some of our proactively solve some of our biggest challenges instead of looking at a microcosm and trying to regulate our way out of it and meddle in the markets 
I think that's going to be the evolution. And maybe we go back to COVID and look at the way we address some of that. There's a lot of stuff where I'm just hoping that 50 years from now, some truth has prevailed and we found the right path to address some really big threats. How do you, what do you think will be one of the dividing factors of incentivization, um, making sure that people do the right thing, not because it's the right thing for them, but as a, on a whole? Yeah, personally, I think there's going to be some sort of woke approaches here that I hate to say it sound that say to that are going to get smashed. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to find out that maybe, you know, the people who sacrificed a whole bunch to drive an EV or uh, take out their grass, you know, I think there's going to be some facts that just come to play here where we think, oh, I was really stressing about this and I thought I was making a big difference, but now it's proven that actually isn't the real way to address this on the macro, right? When I'm not going to tell people not to take a shower in California because we're lacking water, when only 10% of water is residential use and 90% is agriculture. So where do we go solve the real problem, right? And it, that has to be depoliticized, has to be less blame, less it's your mm -hmm. fault, less I'm going to tax you, less you're the idiot, you hate the environment, less that. And more, let's all figure out how to solve this at a systemic level where we're leveraging the best brains we have in a way that's not about blame and fault and punishment, but more about solutions. And I know that's really hard in the world we're in. But, but it can be done. I think 50 years it from now, we're gonna get, if we don't, we're screwed. Yeah, So right. You, you spoke uh, real briefly about water usage in the agriculture space. And there's a really neat company. In fact, Felix Baum, a mutual friend of ours, is involved in uh, where they're using sound waves to uh, make plants grow faster, like 50% mm. faster, and use half the water uses. Oh, so yeah. really cool uh, opportunities and, and, yeah, and actually, technology. You know, speaking of water again, um, there's some interesting stuff about day zero in South Africa, actually, um, and how uh, basically they were saying, look, we're gonna have issues with water. We're not going to have water. So we're going to basically not give anyone free water anymore. Uh, that was the day zero. And when that kind of woke everybody up, everybody started to make changes wow. and it got to a point where that day zero that was imminent months away let's say is now being pushed back years because everyone changed their behavior like what is it and to your point instead of what's going to incentivize real change right is it taxes and, and whatnot that hasn't shown to work or is it something else like we need to to really like rally behind something um, to make real change because otherwise we just keep wasting everything i mean we waste all totally. kinds of stuff every day okay. we don't even think about it yeah so jules did you want to chime in and, and answer uh answer the question as well yeah why not um i actually had a question for you guys uh um if i could have a follow-up question to the one i just asked is that okay sure sure um so my, my follow-up question to what you guys have already mentioned, um, uh, one of you touched upon it already, is what gives, yes, that you gave you an, an opinion of what the future is going to look like in 50 years, but what gives you hope for what the future is going to look like? You know, it, what, because a lot of us, I feel like, are kind of in a place of like, this is a scary time to be alive, climate change is here, uh, we're not really sure what the future, you know, a, a lot of us in the Bay Area got a taste of what climate change is bringing these past few weeks with all the rains coming down and things like that. So I think a lot of us really need a little bit of hope for what the future mm -hmm. could look like. Um, uh, that being said, to, and to give my very short answer to the question I just asked, um, I think there's going to be a lot more people uh, moving out of cities and buying their own land and trying to be self-sustaining. Um, that's, I think that's going to be like a big thing that, uh, that that's going to be happening in, in the future generations. Like I see a lot of Gen Z right now, kind of like giving up the nine to five, giving up the corporate work and really wanting to just get back to basics, which I think is incredibly beautiful. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's my very short answer to that wow. question. Yeah, but back to, 
yeah, back to you guys. Um, hope for the future. What do you, what, what, what do you see? <laughs> what gives you hope, Steve? I think for me, I think it's interesting, you know, I once helped, uh, was on the early-ish team of a company that was trying to do social media differently and and connect people who didn't know each other based on geography close uh, next door. And um, it was a really kind of crazy idea, right? Because social media was where you connected with all these people you knew and you could share things and get to be better friends, I, su I suppose. And that's proven to have some detrimental impacts. But the idea of next door was to connect you with people you didn't know, but who you had a really lot of important context to, that you should know, right? In, in a in a flood, you need your neighbor's canoe, right? Sure, sure. Um, I say that as a joke, but it's actually true, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I, what gives me hope is that I think that we learn. I have to hope that we learn. And we see some of these things. You were mentioning some of the depth of, um, of mistakes that were made in crypto and other places. I think we learn. And I think we look back, you know, I like to watch, um, I'm a big sports fan and I like to look back and, and see, you know, how coaches saw different tactics working and they invented something, they pivoted, they evolved and they got better. And I just have to believe that we're going to be better um, because I think there's a human yearning to get better and yeah. to make things better. And so, you know, I think what the most important thing is to not focus on blaming whose fault it is, but right. work together to solve it. So I, I, I love hope, that. I hope. Also, if you look at the, like the average, uh, the, the standard of living, even in like the last 150 or 100 to 250 years has been remarkable. Yeah. Like the, uh, the average age in the turn of the century was 32. Now it's like yeah. almost, what, probably almost 90, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think what, what gives me hope is that we are seeing that important issues because of the flow of information, because of facts and, and information uh, transferring, um, the people are becoming more uh, attuned or, or realize the importance of these things. Uh, climate change, you know, years ago, people can scoff at it and, you know, basically make jokes about it. Um, I think most people actually recognize there's, you know, certainly something here. Many folks maybe aren't doing anything to address it, but at least they're aware of it. So I think the information flow and the fact that people are actually educating themselves to some of these bigger issues gives me hope that there are people out there who care enough to do something about it, who will make the change, who will address the 90% and make some changes that will, will actually impact um, a lot of people. Yep. Mission-led growth. I love it. Thank you both so much for being here. It's been absolutely wonderful having you both on. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Jules, for hopping on as well. I join us next Tuesday at Pacific, where we'll have more of the best brains in the Bay. Until then, uh, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Quick shout out to Nicodex and Premier Negocios. Check them out in the show notes. And thank you so much. Take care, guys. All right.